chapel where there are 2,000 some churches from a simple humble man uh, like Chuck Smith that in 1965 decided to obey God. And so me and Steve and many others are a part of that grace and it was God's grace that saved me when I was on my face. Uh, and so uh, that's just a little bit about me. And, and so here I am to teach God's word. If you're ready for the word, do you've got a Bible, throw it up in the air. If you've got a device, let me hear you say word, word. Let me say word up, word up. Okay, the men, you guys should be used to this by now. We've been, been together all weekend. <laughs> Going to be in three places today. It'll be somewhat of an expositional teaching, uh, but yet I call it an expositional topical teaching. Uh, it'll be through 1 Kings. We'll start out in 17. We'll skedaddle over to 18, and then we'll land a plane and make our final descent into where God will take us in 1 Kings 19. So those three places I want you to have marked, earmarked, bunny-eared. And if I could give you a brief recap so that you can feel like you've been brought into what the guys were able to go through uh, this weekend, um, you may have heard the promotional piece on Sunday. Uh, the, the sermon series that we walked through as men at the retreat, and if you did not go, you definitely missed out on a treat, uh, but no doubt, try to get there next year, you won't be sorry. Uh, but, but the crux of it was uh, coming into alignment with God's prescribed assignment. And so uh, I, I minced no words. Uh, I spared no scripture in, in shaking and rattling uh, and, and if you would, in some sorts, being a spiritual chiropractor uh, to the men to get their, their backs bent up straight uh, so that they can answer the call. And, and I do believe with all of my heart uh, that there are 50 to 60 men that have come back charged and ready to be a threat to the kingdom of darkness in Jesus' name. Uh, I, I'm excited about that, uh, but, but wives, uh, I want you to hold them accountable to that because they heard some things uh, that they needed to hear, things that God ordained them to hear. Uh, and so we talked about what it means to, to reestablish this idea called functional subordinationism, whereas men take their rightful place as uh, complimenting their wife, walking side by side, but still being the head, but not having the wife behind them, nor allowing the wife to walk in front of them, but side by side, complimenting one another that you might do great ministry together for the kingdom of God. Uh, and then we talked about the risk that comes with now answering this assignment after you've been put back into proper alignment and we walked them through a landscape of scriptures uh, that talked about how that you could and would and it's promised that suffering will come as you answer this call, uh, no doubt. Uh, and then we Saturday night landed the plane as we took the guys off of the holy huddle, the sermon uh, that would shake them and, and wake them and in some ways I pray break them to realize uh, that we have to leave New Hampshire. We can't stay there and when we get back to real life, life be lifing. Life happens. Life is hard. And so uh, this is what your guys heard. And so now this is essentially what you're hearing today is a crescendo as we thread this all together, this, this storyline. We're going to see here in scripture uh, something that would help the men, but all the families together and everybody on the listening side of my voice be encouraged irrespective of what type of hardships life throws at you just to remember that Jesus Christ still is Lord. And so I'm going to read you a scripture, and then I'll give you the title, and then we'll pray. Uh, so let me read 1 Kings 19. That's going to be uh, the sticking point as we land here. Uh, it'll be 19 verses 1 to 4. I'm going to read that aloud. Again, that's going to be just the place that'll launch us. And then I'll give you the title of the message. 1 Kings 19, 
says this, verse 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life. And he went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die. And he said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. If I was to give you an overall arcing theme, a premise, a thesis, if I was a prosecutor, this is the simple sentence that I would build my case on. Everything that you hear over the next 35 minutes and 14 seconds or so will be threaded together by this central theme, this thought. Be it mountains or valleys, God is still there. Be it a mountaintop or a valley low, God is still there. I'm going to title this message, I'm going to tag this message, From Mountains to Valleys. Let us pray. Father, it is in your strong, mighty, magnanimous, matchless, and miraculous name that we come before you and we thank you for what you have already done by way of the move that you've started in New Hampshire. You indeed spoke in ways that only you can get credit for. And I'm just grateful that I'm able to be here as a representation, a mere mortal, finite man, a ragtag knucklehead by way of the 305 trying to make my way through this world, just telling somebody about anybody that can save everybody. And so we are grateful that we can hear what you would have to say. I pray as you speak, God, the words that are printed on the pages or the devices that are laying on the laps of each one of these men, women, and youth, and children, those words would jump off those pages into their hearts, stir up their hearts, stir up their affections for you, that they would leave here differently than when they walked in. Lord, you have more for Calvary Chapel in the city than I ever could. You can offer more to them than I ever would. These are your people. Speak now. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and all would say, amen. I'm just going to put myself out there. I don't know if it's age. I don't know if there's something neurologically going on with me, pray, uh, but has anyone else ever picked up their phone and begin to scroll and then eventually you realize you forgot why you actually picked up your phone in the first place? <laughs> Am I the only one that has done that? Uh, I, we call that senior moments. Uh, youth, have you guys ever done that before? Or you guys are pretty sharp. So, okay, it's not a, all right. So maybe, maybe, maybe it's just a thing thing. I don't know. But, but uh, we as human beings have the proclivity and the tendency to forget easily what it is that we were doing in the moment that we were doing it. And then for some reason it comes back to our remembrance and then we can continue doing it. Same is and such is how we correspond with God. How easily, family, do we forget his faithfulness toward us in the midst of trials. How easily we forget how he's been a provider to us and for us when we go through suffering or struggling. We seem to get spiritual amnesia and forget just how providential and how graceful God is the moment somebody gnaws at us the wrong way. It's just human nature. It's the sin proclivity in us. But God is faithful to remind us even when we're faithless and forget. 
And I'm going to take you through, if I could, a small biography of an individual uh, that the Bible says was just a normal man who did crazy things by faith. And we're all normal men and women, but yet by faith we can do crazy, amazing, miraculous things through God. And so we're going to look at just a small segment, a microcosm of Elijah's life, a season that he went through. And again, I'm going to take you on a little survey. And what my aim is, is for us to look at the way God moved in Elijah's life, how God used Elijah in such a special way. But even in Elijah's humanity, he would forget just how faithful God has been. Even in the midst of all the faith-filled things that he did for God. The Bible tells us, and this will bring us all into the, the text, because I don't want anyone to be with excuse to say, well, it was Elijah. I mean, Elijah, no. Here's what the Bible says in James 5.17 of Elijah. Elijah was a man with nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Let me pause there and just parenthetically say uh, that there is no excuse for anyone here under the listening sound of my voice to say that God cannot use me. If you are a blood-bought believer in Jesus Christ, saved by grace through faith in him, God can use you no matter how messed up or jacked up your life has been. No matter how many mistakes you are, you can't out God's grace. One moment of failure does not discount a lifetime of faithfulness that God is getting ready to take you on, and it does not usurp the faithfulness of God as he died for us at the cross. He purchased your sins. By grace, you've been saved, and so God can indeed use you even in your finite and mortal and sometimes making mistakes being. God used Elijah, who was just a mere man, it says, and so let's now thrust into a narrative that, again, many of you may be familiar with. And for those of you who aren't, I'm going to do my best to roll this out in a comprehensive and understandable, relatable way that you might leave here with inspiration, impartation, but also application because we want you to move into action for God. And so it's First Kings. I've asked you to turn there. It won't be on the screens. I want you to follow along with me. I'd love to hear pages turning. I'm old school, but if you have to have your devices strolling, that's fine as well. No judgment. 1 Kings 17, pick it up in verse 2. It says this. The word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Sharif, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook. And I have commanded, watch this, this is beautiful, ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Sharif, which flows into the Jordan, and the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Come on back. Your attention, please. Point number one, if you're taking notes, two simple words. God provides. God provides. Provides In the most unlikely place, in the most unlikely space, Elijah finds himself being driven away through this season of his life where there's suppression and oppression and persecution and Jezebel's heavy hand is, is rattling the cultural climate in the context of the moment. And, and yet here he is, he's at the Brook Sharif and God's infinite, miraculous, gracious provisions would be such that he would have a, what I would call, spiritual Uber Eats deliver Chick-fil-A to Elijah at the brook. 
that is God's gracious provision. And he would have a Chick-fil-A sandwich at night. He would have Chick-fil-A lemonade. I told you guys that Chick-fil-A is from heaven at the men's retreat. I said the lemonade is actually the, the, the sweat of angel wings stringed out. It drips Chick-fil-A lemonade. <laughs> so I'm fully in belief that Elijah was eating Uber Eats by way of Chick-fil-A. But the Bible says the brook's. Uh, the ravens fed him. But no doubt, what we see here is God provides in an unlikely set of circumstances. I want to take you further in the narrative. Skip down a little bit. It's 1 Kings 17, now verse 8. He would have to leave the brook. So um, let me pause and parenthetically say this before I dive into the next text. Don't get too used to your circumstances. God may shake you and awaken you and bring you somewhere else that's a little bit more uncomfortable than that which brought you comfort. God had settled Elijah there and he could have gotten comfortable. I mean, he's literally got dine and dash coming to him. He's got food coming to him. He's, he doesn't have to hunt anything. He's got fresh water at the brook. He's got food. Like, I could just stay here. And God says, nope, I'm not going to let you get comfortable. And oftentimes in our lives, God moves us and he rattles us. He doesn't allow us to get comfortable. God just might be putting in the heart of someone here to plant the church somewhere they thought they'd never go. Me and my wife wanted out of Miami. We were trying to go to the suburbs. We are like, all right, we're tired of the hood. All right, the hood life is done. We're done with this. And God said, nope, you're actually going to stay here to plant a church in the inner city. That rattled me. That shook me, but yet... Four and a half years later, we've got Calvary Chapel, North Miami, and God has provided for that church, even in spite of how difficult it is to be a pastor. And so now God shakes Elijah and says, all right, I'm going to take you to a very unlikely place to feed you, to provide for you. Here, here it is. It says this, 1 Kings 17, 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, arise now, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. That is unlikely because, number one, the widow in that time period was struggling. The Bible would say that when she actually was confronted by Elijah, if you read further in the narrative, and for the sake of time, I'm going to skip through the field, uh, she was actually preparing to make her last meal. She was making the meal that her and her son would eat and then die, is what the scripture says. Yet Elijah shows up and, and God promises him, hey, this widow, this unlikely individual with a limited amount of resources is going to feed you and provide for you. And Elijah's like, yeah, okay. If I was Elijah, I'd like, you got to be kidding me. Like, why would I leave, dine and dash, Uber Eats, and, and yet here it is. You're taking me to a different place. It's uncomfortable. It's with a widow, and she's getting ready to die, and you're going to feed me here? Uh, again, let me pause and say this, just for your thoughtful consideration. Um, God doesn't operate in the things that we can explain, because if he does, we'd be tempted to take credit for it. So when God does the miraculous, he does the things that are inexplainable. A widow of all people who is at her last wanting to die, and yet here it is, God again provides. Philippians 4.19 says it like this, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. One of this verses is my favorite. Uh, it's Matthew 6.31. It says it like this, 
Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Now, those verses talk about needs, not wants. Oh, that, that just hit some of you in the gut right there, myself included. There are a lot of things I want. I want as many Nike dunks as I possibly can get. I'm a dunk guy. It's just what it is. I've got an issue. Pastor Steve, please pray for me. It could, it could easily become an idol. I've got a pair of dunks for every blazer I got. Literally, it's a problem. Don't judge me. I feel like I'm being judged. Um, but needs, my God will supply all of your needs. God knows what you need. And here's the deal, family. We can easily get up on our soapbox and our seat of sorrow, and we can cry and, and ask, why aren't you giving me this, and how come I don't have that? And here's the deal. Like, I love you, but I look across this landscape and the spectrum of this auditorium, and I see people with clothes on. You got nothing else to complain about. Because there are people across the world right now there are people that are in war right now. There are people that don't have a food to eat right now. You got a whole food court right outside the church. And I guarantee you, you will indulge. But if you're to be honest, if we're to be honest, if I'm to be honest, we still find a reason to complain, don't we? We, we, we still find a reason to bat our fist at God as opposed to lifting our hands and worshiping God and saying, God, thank you for the very clothes that I have on. It might not be the the pair of dunks that I want, but it is the shoes that I need. It, it might not be the designer stuff that I want, but it is exactly what I need. It, I, I, I may wish that there would be, is there Chick-fil-A out there? No. See, we want one. <laughs> but they do have McDonald's. Yes. Just saying, don't need too much of it though. But God provides. But then let's go further in the narrative now. Let's skip down to 1 Kings 17. You guys tracking with me? We're good? Verse 19 this time, it says it like this. And he said to her, give me your son. So he took him out of her arms and carried him into the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. And then he cried out to the Lord and said, oh Lord my God, you have also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodge by killing her son. And he stretched him out on a child three times and he cried out to the Lord and said, oh Lord my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. And then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the soul of the child came back to him and he revived. Point number two, if you're taking note, not only does God provide, God revives. Elijah's staying there. God is providing for them by way of an infinite amount of bread and oil that comes to this widow, even though she was in her last and on her last, and God is continuing to provide. But all of a sudden, the, the son falls sick and dies. Elijah couldn't make sense of this. But the only thing he could do is what he knew to do, which we all should do, is look to God. If there's something dead in your life, and we're not talking about, now this is physical death, but there could be a spiritual death that you're going through right now where you feel like you are in a dark place, where you feel like you have been completely depleted, where your soul is just completely hardened, you feel like you're spiritually dead and disoriented. Do you know that if you look to God, if you look to the hills, if you lift up your eyes to where your help comes from, God will take that which is dead and revive it because he's the same God that can take a heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh. Just look up to God. That is your practical application. God is a God who revives. And so whatever it is that's dead in your life, whatever it is that is dormant in your life, 
Might I suggest to simply ask God to revive it? He's faithful. He will. Now you have to do your part and then trust God to do his part. Now in North Miami, we call that gospel chill. It is we do our best and then we trust God to handle the rest. It is a sweet spot between man's responsibility and God's sovereignty. But no doubt, if you ask God, he will revive that which is dead in your life. Because what father hears his son or daughter cry out for bread and yet he gives them a rock? No, he's a good father. And he is a father that is all about life, not death. No, he overcame death that you and I, us, me, we would experience true life. And so again, I just want to come here today by way of Miami to infer to you that whatever it is that is dead in your life, whatever relationship, even if you have a child that is on skid row that's not saved and you've been praying, they're spiritually dead. They're like the walking dead. God can bring that child to life. God can revive that child. The Bible says if you train up a child in the way that he or she may go, they will not depart. So you've been sowing seeds and you've been sowing into them and you've been praying for them and fasting and bringing it before the Lord and it seems as if it's just a dead situation. Keep on praying. Keep being faithful. Keep looking up to God because what you've been doing is just putting a spiritual bungee cord on that child. No, no matter how far they go, they got to come back. God revives. We're going to see revival here in the next page. Now flip over. It's 1 Kings 18. Verse 36, this time, I'll read down to 40. Speaking of revival, it's this amazing battle on the mount, Mount Carmel. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then fire of the Lord fell and consumed and burnt the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked it up and licked up the water that was in the trench. Now, watch this, when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and he said, Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Verse 40. And Elijah said to him, said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. Now, let me give you some context. This is the result of a standoff. If you've ever watched country western, I kind of imagine this scene starting out with this music. Help me out. Thank you, because this entire illustration rises and falls on crowd participation. If you guys didn't do it, it'd completely fall, fail. All right, glad that you brought, you brought you all into the text. So Elijah seems as if he's the only faithful prophet in the town. And again, Jezebel is oppressing and suppressing all of the God lovers. And here it is, these Baal worshipers. It, it, Baal has taken over uh, the, 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 the spiritual compass and the climate of the region. And so Elijah is called up on this mountain all by himself. He stands tall, 10 toes down, uh, and he begins to even so much so mock these Baal worshipers. Like he's like, okay, um, if your God is the real God, if Baal's the real God, um, then what we're going to do, we're going to have a duel. I want you to 
call down fire and have Baal consume this altar. And so they begin to do their little spiritual thing. They're dancing, they're cutting, they're doing just crazy stuff. And Elijah's like, so what, is he checked out? Is he on his DMs right now? Is he checking his emails right now? Oh, maybe he's on Tic Tac right now. Tic Tac, because I need one. Um, he's on TikTok. But then Elijah doubles down as to add insult to injury, grabs water and begins to completely consume the altar so much so that it was puddled in the trench. He didn't do a dance. He didn't have to cut himself. He didn't have to do any type of spiritual routine. He didn't do rah, 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 shish, kumba. He didn't do any acrobatics, theatrics. At Calvary, we just call that simply teaching the word of God simple. And so he simply called out to God simply. And God simply responded. Fire came down as we saw. And guess what? There was revival in the city. God used one faithful man to stand against a faithless community to show a faithful God. And that community that was looking on saw the faith of that one mere mortal man. Don't forget James 5 said this. He was just a mere man like us. And yet God provided for him by the brook Sharif. God used him to revive a dead person brought a dead person back to life miraculously. Now he has this moment where he's calling down fire, just a mere mortal, finite human being, but he's petitioning a magnanimous, miraculous, mighty God. So it's never through his strength. It's through his strength. Let us not look to us but let us look to him who is faithful when we're faithless. And so here it is, God shows out, shows up, and revival strikes. And I just want again, pause and parenthetically say, just hypothetically speaking, what if not just one, but maybe 250 individuals, or maybe even, let's quantify it down to 55 guys that were on a retreat, happen to come off a mountaintop and, and hit the valley and say, you know what, um, we're going to hit the city and we're going to show faith toward God and we're going to show this, this worshipless city that God is worthy of our worship. What would it look like if those that don't have faith look on and see the faith of you? Would this city not find itself in revival. I believe that it would and I believe that God could. But it's just a matter of God shaking and stirring each one of you, you normal, finite individuals looking to a faithful God to move in a faithless community. God revives. But then there's a plot twist. After this amazing victory on Mount Carmel, Elijah finds himself in a valley. From the mountain to the valley. Let's read 1 Kings 19. Verse 5, it says this. Then as they lay, then as he lay, excuse me, and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And then he looked and there by his head was cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and he drank and then he lay down again. And then an angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and he ate and he drank and he went in the strength of 
the food for 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And so just by way of recap, we've seen that God uses a mere mortal man like Elijah and we've learned that God provides. We've seen that God revives as God used Elijah to bring forth one who is dead and God can revive a faithless city even though there are 50 prophets in three different cages because Elijah wasn't the only one. There were just people that tucked their tails and tucked their head and hid. Elijah happened to be the one that was brave enough to stand on the mountain. Forgot to add that part. And so there are people that are just tucking their head, not sharing their faith. But God can use just one to start a revival. But then God has it so that he would have to provide even more for Elijah because Elijah finds himself being driven into the wilderness. I read the scripture at the onset. I'll just recapitulate it. It's Elijah hearing that Jezebel was so angry at what he had done. She was so angry at the fact that there was revival that hit the city. She was so angry that Elijah usurped her authority and her spiritual prowess and he called down fire that she said, you know what? I'm going to make his life miserable so much so that by this time tomorrow, he is going to die. That news drove Elijah into the wilderness. And the Bible says this. He himself went into the wilderness. Verse 4, Kings 19. He came and sat down under the broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life. Listen, family. I don't know how this hermeneutically or how this tends to be interpreted by you. But that's a suicidal ideation. Elijah wanted to die. And yet, point number three, Christ refuels. Christ provides. Christ revives. Christ refuels. Elijah was at empty. His tank had been depleted, his spiritual tank. He had just experienced great victory on the mountain, and here he is in the wilderness, in a valley, and he says, I actually want to die. And if we're to be a hundred, some of us, myself included, have actually felt that way. Has anyone ever tried to explain away mental health in the Bible and say, oh, it's not there? No, that's, this is a mental breakdown. I'm not reading into this. He said, I'm done. How does that happen after such a great victory? Because oftentimes, Satan will do his best to discourage you the moment you come off the mountaintop. Men that went on that retreat, they heard that Jesus showed himself in full splendor to three disciples. So much so that they loved it and wanted to stay there. Peter said, it is good for us to be here. Let's stay here. And Jesus said, not so. We've got work to do. They come off the mountain, so they had a holy huddle. They had kumbaya on the mountain. We were in New Hampshire having kumbaya. It was great. Quietness of the day, gripped by God's creation and all of his splendor. And here we are back in the city. Here they were coming off the mountain and they are confronted by an evil demon. And here Elijah is called down fire 
400 something Baal worshipers are completely eradicated. He's in the wilderness and he wants to die. Make that make sense. The only way it does make sense is that there's opposition in life. Satan is real and he is relentless in his attack. In this instance, it was by way of someone named Jezebel. Now here's what I want to bring back to your remembrance is that there are certain things that needed to be brought back to Elijah's remembrance. Elijah was fed by Uber Eats at a brook. God did that. Elijah was provided for by a widow who was down on her last and ready to die. God did that. Elijah saw a widow's son fall sick and die, laid across him, called out to the Lord, please revive him. God did that. Elijah went up on a mountain when 150 other prophets hid in the cave because they were tucking tail and they were afraid of Jezebel. But Elijah called down fire by simply saying, God, show yourself faithful. Only God could do that. That same God that did that is the same God that would be with Elijah in the wilderness, but yet Elijah so quickly forgot who God was to the degree that he wanted to die. How quickly do we forget the moment we come off the mountain and we hit the valley. And here's the deal. I've got to ask this question for reflection. Have you ever thought about it? Like, why did Elijah let the thought of Jezebel bring him to the point of depression to the degree that he wanted to die? After he did all of that. Like, do you know who your God is and what your God has done? You literally brought someone back to life. You literally slaughtered 400 bow worshipers and just little old Jezebel. You know who Jezebel was? She was this evil queen of the time who, again, false bow worshiper, false prophets, completely tore down all things God. I, I, would, I would probably say that she's a little bit parallel to TikTok. Kids are like, what? I, I, I really believe with all of my heart, and this is not a conspiracy theory, this is just what I believe, it's what I know. The culture is using TikTok to infiltrate the hearts and the minds of our youth, to take their minds and hearts off of the truth of God's word, so that they would be hypnotized by a false truth. Yes. That's a Jezebelic spirit. Anything that completely eradicates the glory of God and, and takes attention off God, because how quickly do we just, you want to find out truth? Go to TikTok, search engine. Are you kidding me? Random people upload stupid stuff and we believe it. I'm not yelling, I'm just passionate, sorry. She's like. <laughs> I was just scrolling on TikTok. The only way that you're going to find absolute truth is not by Google, not by YouTube, it's by the word of God. But our culture in this moment is being literally stolen away from us. I'll even go as far as to say our kids are being tra trafficked out of our homes while they're in our homes by way of these devices. They're being spiritually oppressed right in our faces. Now, I'm not saying parents, you leave here and get all like radical, take all phones right now. <laughs> I'm not saying that. That's not, that's not law. Kids are like, okay, now I'm, I'm, I'm back with you, Darren. Before, like, I saw the kids like, my phone right now, getting up walking out. Right? That's not what I'm saying. I am saying, kids, just monitor what you watch. Get, if you spend more, adults too, um, if we spend more time on this than we are in this, we've got ourselves a problem. Yeah. 
How do I quantify that, Darren? Oh, here's a good litmus. Uh, if you have an iPhone, um, there is this, this device that says that you can look at your screen time and it'll tell you how much time you're spending on certain devices or apps or whatever the case. If you got more time uh, on TikTok than you have on a version Bible app, you're being hijacked. <laughs> your spirit is being taken from you right in front of your face. Let's flip the script. Let's change the imbalance. Let's spend more time in God's word and just every once in a while, it's okay to look and see what's going on in the culture. And so this is what's going on. Jezebel is trying to change the culture. She's shifting the culture. And yet this little small woman, I don't know how big it was, the Bible doesn't describe it, but, but she was the one that caused Elijah to want to die after he did all of that? Oh, how quick we forget who God is and how faithful he is. You want to die now? You were just on the mountaintop and here you are in the valley and you want to die? You're just that depressed at the sound of Jezebel? I don't think it was just Jezebel. Family, look right at me. I just think he was overwhelmed. It's just a bit much. I hope you're praying for your pastor and your elders and your leaders. It is not easy doing inner city ministry. It is not easy doing ministry at all. And many of pastors have thrown in the towel just because they have been simply overwhelmed. Not because they disqualified themselves spiritually, not because they fell. They just did not return back to church because they said it's enough. They've seen God's faithfulness over many, many years, but they just got tired because maybe they forgot that God still provides. God still revives. And God still refuels. How did he refuel? Well, we see it here. The angel of the Lord. And when you hear that phrase, the angel of the Lord, that is literally like a type of Christ. So it's like Christ came and met Elijah in his lowest point in the valley. And he said, arise and eat. And he gave him cake, which is in essence bread and water. And then he did what most people do after they eat and they drink. He took another nap. We all do that. A lot of that was happening at the men's retreat. I did a lot. I didn't play basketball. I didn't do anything but nap. It was really good. But then the, the angel of the Lord came back and said, hey, rise and eat because the journey is too great for you. You can't do it on your own. And so he rose and he ate and he went 40 days on the strength of that food. First and foremost, what you've got to realize is Psalm 38, 34, 18, family, if you are overwhelmed, I'm walking down your lane right now, I'm talking to you. If you find yourself completely inundated, disoriented by life, if life has brought a crushing blow that you didn't think was going to happen, if you got hit with a satanic sucker punch that you didn't think you were going to get hit with and you find yourself down and out, remember this, God is near to the brokenhearted. He is the same God that was on the mountaintop and the same God in the valley. Psalm 23 says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because he is with me. You're not alone. He does not leave you, nor does he forsake you. It might feel like it, but God is there and he's saying, hey, listen, take this, eat. First Peter 5.10 says, the God of all grace who has called you in to eternal glory in Christ after you've suffered a little while will restore you and will make you strong, 
firm and steadfast. In other words, he will refuel you so that you can go out, flow out, and show out the glory of God after you have been restored by God, refueled by God, retooled by God. And so even in your moment of despair and your moment of detriment, your moment where you want to throw in the towel, you want to give up, if you cast your cares on Jesus, if you cast your anxieties on Jesus, he too cares for you. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says it like this, he who is heavy laden and burdened, take my yoke upon you. Because my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And so whatever burden you're carrying in this life, whatever burden you feel in this moment, will you lay that at the feet of who, he who is with you in that valley? Will you lay that at the feet of he who says, cast your cares on me because I care for you? And after you suffered just a little while, but you say, Darren, it's been a long while. I've been going through this. It seems like it just won't cease. It won't stop. Listen, do you know that we serve a God who is outside of time? So a long time for us is a little time for him. The Bible says a year is like a, a day is like a thousand years in God's ecosystem. But however long it seems, would you be willing to trust God that the scripture says that after you suffer just a little while, he will refuel you, restore you, and strengthen you so that you can go a little further in the journey. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says it like this, for the light of momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Romans 8.18 says it like this, and I'm done. The suffering of this present time isn't worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. Will you remember that God provides? Will you remember that God revives? Will you remember that God is faithful to refuel you and retool you? That even when you're in your darkest place, your moment of despair, you're in disorientation, you feel like you're spiritually dead, God is still God of the mountains and he's still God of the valleys. As I land the plane and bring us to a taxi, to our gate, and release you to go and take on the world, I'm reminded of another individual that had a mountaintop experience and yet found himself in the valley, a very familiar character named Abraham. Abraham had just went on this campaign to rescue his nephew Lot after four or five kingdoms came together to take down Sodom and Lot was a part of that and he ends up getting seized and trafficked out of there and Abraham by the strength of God not his own he wins that battle he gets his nephew back and the Bible says in Genesis 14 on his way back his victory lap coming off this mountaintop experience this wonderful victory he is confronted by the king of Sodom evil and the king of Sodom wanted to play let's make a deal Abraham looked Sodom in the face and said, I will not make a deal with you so that you can steal the glory from God. And then immediately after that, the Bible says, this king named Melchizedek. Now again, for you theologians, you know who that is. For you don't, let me explain it. Melchizedek is another type of Christ. It's another form of Christ in the Old Testament. So Christ shows up and he meets Abraham immediately after Abraham is confronted by evil. Again, I don't say this to scare you, but to prepare you. Typically, every time you find yourself experiencing a great victory for the Lord, there's something that Satan's going to do to try to confront you with evil and discourage you and take you off track. Guys, 
You wake up Monday morning, don't be surprised if you oversleep. It's just aggravating. Everybody oversleep before? It's spiritual warfare. No, but what I'm saying is, you might be confronted immediately. If you are, tune the king of Sodom out. Tune evil out and tune in on Melchizedek. Tune in on Jesus because Melchizedek said, here, take communion with me. He offered him bread. He offered him wine and they communed together. The spirit of the Lord showed up and offered Elijah bread and water. What am I saying? The best way to be fueled when you find yourself in the lowest place is to be consumed with bread. Well, who is the bread of life? Jesus Christ. Who is the water that if we consume it, we shall never thirst anymore? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ also knew a little something about mountaintops and valleys. It was Jesus Christ who was baptized and he had this mountaintop experience before he had done anything magnanimous and great. Before he went on public ministry, he goes into the water and he hears the greatest affirmation that anybody can hear. His father in heaven, this is the Trinity showing up in full form. This is my son who I'm well pleased and the Holy Spirit, the dove, descended down upon him. And guess what? Immediately after that, the Bible says he's driven in the wilderness to be tempted from the mountain to the valley. And what was it that Jesus Christ did to defend himself? He used the word. And so what do you do, family, as I close and I'm done? What do you do when you find yourself in the valley? Here it is. Here's your action step. Here's what I want to leave you with. For those of you that are sitting there saying, okay, what next, Darren? What now? What do I do? How do I get out of this? Easy. Colossians 3.16, and I'm done. It says this. Let the word of God, the bread of life, dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And so if the word is in you, it's got to come out of you. If the word is in you, it's going to stir up in you moments like Acts 16 when you're in the deepest part of the prison and you're in stocks and you just start singing worship and the jail bars have to break and whatever it is that's holding you down in depression has to break if you just get the word in you and then worship while you worry. As a matter of fact, don't worry. Just worship. I love you. Jesus Christ, love you so much more. God bless you. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy, your kindness. We ask that you would touch each and every one that is under the listening sound of my voice in this very moment. God, before I leave, I'd be remiss that if I leave this podium and don't offer up an opportunity for somebody that does not know you, to come to know you. And so while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, before I say amen and take my seat, who we just made much of, who we just highlighted was the Christ that died on the cross. And he's able to live inside of us and be near to the broken heart because the Holy Spirit indwells you. In other words, the Holy Spirit then takes residence inside you. You become the house of the Spirit. He takes on your sins, all your imperfections, so that you don't have to be perfect. He was perfect for you. He died and he came out of the grave. He resurrected so that you, me, us, we can have everlasting life. The Bible says by grace we're saved so you don't have to do anything for it. It is the greatest exchange that you'll ever have. He gives you free life. You do nothing. And so if that is you right now, if you're here in this auditorium and you want to receive Jesus Christ as your savior so that you don't have to live this life alone. You don't have to struggle alone because in this life there will be tribulations. In this life you will struggle, you will suffer. Why do it alone? No, do it with he who will get you through it. 
And so please raise your hand if you would like to accept Christ now as your Savior. I just want to pray for you. If you're here, raise it real high so I can see it, so we can see it. Amen. And we see you standing. She's standing up. Anyone else? I see your hand up. Put it high. Put it high so we can see it. That's three. Anybody else? Anyone else? I see you. Anyone else here? I see you. Anyone else? Is there anyone else in this building right now that wants to accept Jesus Christ? I see your hand back there, little man. Anyone else? Anyone else here? I see you back there. Is anybody, is anybody, is anybody online, if we're, if, we're, if we're streaming, if you're online, type in the comment section, Lord, save me. If you're online, if you're watching this online, just Lord, save me. I see you standing. Now, remember, if you've, if you've accepted Christ at any point in your life, this is not like a gym membership where you have to renew it, otherwise it'll run out. Your salvation is sealed. You don't have to do it again. So you want to restore your relationship with Christ. I'll pray, I'll pray that prayer for you. But if there's anyone here that wants, for the very first time, to accept him, stay standing. I got you. I'm coming back for you. Father, in Jesus' name, for those that are standing right now, we thank you for your saving grace, Lord God. We thank you that they've taken a stand here to accept you as Savior. And so just simply repeat after me. These are my words, but it'll be your heart. You don't have to say it loud. You can just say it. Say, dear Lord, come into my life. Lead me. Guide me all the days of my life. I believe with all my heart and I confess with my mouth that you are the risen Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name. Come on, give God a hand for all of these individuals that may be seated. For you, just open your hands up and receive this blessing over you. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for my sister as she has stood to reconcile her relationship with you. Maybe perhaps she's gone on skid row. Perhaps she has gone prodigal. Perhaps she has been disobedient. I'm not sure where she stands and lands in the spectrum of her relationship with you, but Lord, she wants to be revived. And it takes so much courage to just stand here and confess and admit that there needs to be a revival in her heart. As a matter of fact, before I pray, is there anybody else that would stand with her that just wants to, to be revived in Christ, that just wants to be reconciled to Christ? You've gone astray, you've gone on skid row, and you want Christ to redeem your relationship. If there's anybody here, would you stand as well? No shame. No shame. Father, for those that are standing and those that are continuing to stand, God, I pray that you would just touch them right where they are, Lord God. Stir up their affections for you, Lord God. Reboot, Lord God. Reroute them back to you, O oh God. They were not here by accident, but it is by your providential hand that you landed and led them right here, that they would hear this message and that their heart would be restored back to you, Lord, and that they would leave here differently than when they walked in, Lord God. They would leave here with the joy of their salvation brought back to them, that they would leave here with a sense of courage and tenacity to go take on life, even though life be life in, Lord God. We know that you are the one that gives life. And so even as Pastor Steve is sharing through Philippians, let that be the gift that they experience, joy in the midst of sorrows because you are near to the brokenhearted. We love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you guys.